Brother, we're short on Wisdom Wednesday. There's no, I mean, there is a saint today, but I never heard of him. Uh, maybe you know a little bit about him. Well, there is Saint Helena today. Well, you 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 probably looked at. Uh, okay, so there was a po- there was a Pope Saint, I believe that we I, yeah, I looked at Traditio. I did not see see Saint Helena. So Saint Saint Helena. Well, if you look at Catholicism.org, Mike, <laughs> you, <you'd, laughs> my first mistake of the day. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so Saint Helena is the. Um, you know, as as I as I put out on my Twitter this morning, she's one of the great many Catholic mothers of history. So I just plop, plop, plopped that tweet into the um, into the chat room. Now, but yeah, brother, so is it proper to say Helen or Helena? Oh my goodness! So this is one of the mo- one of the names that has the most variations or forms. Okay. So you know that my mom's name is Eleanor, right? Yes. And yeah. She spells it with the French spelling E L E O N O R E, but um, but um, that's Helen. Okay. Mm. Helen, Helene, Eleanor, Ellen, Eileen, Elaine, Helene. There are numerous forms of this name. I just I just gave you a few of them. I mean, um, they're all derived from um, the, the the name. It's a Greek. It's a Greek name. It's it's the name of uh, Helen of Troy, right? So, right. So what, one of the, well, you know, the 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 the, the woman who started a ten year war uh, between the Romans and the Trojans. Um, so that, that, I mean, excuse me, between the Greeks and the Trojans, I, am a little, I'm a little fog, brain fog this morning, I suppose, between the Greeks and the Trojans. And of course the Trojans, um, according to, uh, the, the, uh, the Aeneid is it, uh, end up becoming the Romans <laughs> when they, when they fled Troy, they end up becoming the founders of Rome. So, yeah, so it's a very common name and it's got many, many different forms, but the saint historically is the mother of Constantine. That's right, and um, she um, uh, has numerous claims to fame. Um, one of which is, of course, that she found the 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 relic of the true cross. She found the true cross. She found and, the cross, not the relic. And, the cross. Yeah, well, it is a. Relic, it is a relic, but, uh, right, right? She found she found the 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 true cross uh, in the year three twenty six. Um, she herself is a convert, having been a pagan. Her her husband treated her like total garbage. Um, and uh, ended up, you know, sort of uh, divorcing her and s- setting her adrift. Uh, but but Constantine becomes the the eventually the sole emperor, and um, and he's the one who uh, ends up, of course, being the champion for for the the Catholic faith in uh, among in the empire. He ends the persecution. The Edict of Milan is that correct? The Edict of Milan, which comes out three thirteen after the Battle of Milvian Bridge, uh, where he was he 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 defeated his uh, ch- challenger who uh, wanted to you know well there there was this fighting between the different claimants to the to the throne, uh, and he ended up uh, being the sole emperor and. Um, Start, you know, moves moves the cap moves the capital to the east and takes a tiny little podunk town called Byzantium, and builds it up into um, Constantinople, which he named it that in his lifetime. So I guess he, you know, uh, when he was still a heathen, he wasn't quite so humble. Um, he, he named it after himself, but he ended up. Um, 
becoming the one who, in God's providence, uh, championed the faith and ended up, you know, bringing bringing Rome. He didn't make uh, Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. That doesn't happen until you know almost a hundred years later with uh, the Emperor Theodosius. But he did he did lift the edicts of persecution, uh, and therefore gave the the faithful a, um, a freedom in the Roman Empire with which to worship. And, and the the story of of Constantine and so much of uh, what happened at the time of Constantine uh, in the church could fill a volume of uh, radio shows up. Um, <clears throat> There were bishops that were appointed, popes. I mean, there's all kind of intrigue going on. But the story of St. Helen or St. Helena uh, is one that everyone should know, Protestant, denominational, evangelical, what have you, because it is she. Now, brother, I know I read this story completely back in the d day when I read all four volumes, uh, Butler's Lives of the Saints condensed from the 12 down to the four, but still with the original text. Um, uh, she had, uh, you can correct me where I'm wrong, but I believe that she had some kind of a vision and then she traveled to the Holy Land in search of the uh, the true cross. They knew where Golgotha was and they went through a process. Uh, they were digging up fake crosses that apparently the Jews had planted there to so no uh, uh, treasure seekers could ever find the real one. But she had a method that she would bring the lepers and what have you there. And when finally a leper was instantly healed or some or some of some uh, ailment, that they determined that that was the true one. <clears throat> um, well, the the, the the other crosses were the ones that the thieves were, were, were crucified on. Okay. So it wasn't fake crosses. I mean, it, it, it had been, the, it, was the, it was the heathen who had mounded over the uh the the this Golgotha I mean they had mounded it over and mounded it over mounded it over um the Romans did this um and they they turned a lot of the holy sites after the destruction of Jerusalem they turned a lot of the holy sites into pagan temples and um and then when uh, you know dur dur it's during this time of Helen and Constantine that uh, all those things get excavated um uh, basilicas get built on the holy sites St. Helena was a great builder. She used her munificence uh, to uh, build churches, and she uh, she famously built the Lateran Basilica on the, the, the Lateran uh, Palace, the grounds of the Lateran Palace, and that's the Pope's Cathedral, the Lateran Basilica, St. John Lateran. I was going to say that's St. Um, John Lateran, right? <clears throat> it's called, it's got a couple of names. It's the Lateran Basilica, it's St. John Lateran. It's also, um, and by the way, it's dedicated both to St. John the Apostle and St. John the Baptist. And it's also called the Church of the Holy Savior. Um, and uh, it, it, the feast of its dedication is uh, coming is on November 9th. But that particular basilica was something that came from her munificence. Also came from munificence, her munificence is the church known as the Santa Croce in Gerusalemme, which is Italian for the Church of the Holy Cross in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. And, and the the interesting thing about that is she actually had dirt from Jerusalem brought to Rome, and they scattered it around the footprint of the building they were going to build, and then they built on it. So it was it's in Jerusalem because they brought dirt from Jerusalem there. It's kind of an interesting uh, take on things. 
Brother Andre Marie from the St. Benedict Center with us here on the we have Wisdom Vinci here on uh, the Crusade Channel. Um, now, for those that say, I got a little pushback last hour. The Western North America was it settled by Catholics? I'm like, yes, it was. Uh, what is that giant mountain that blew its head off? Uh, blew 2,300 feet uh, of its uh, summit off in 1981 in upstate Washington. What was it called? Uh, yeah, Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens. Uh, but yeah, nothing to see here, citizen. No Catholic influence whatsoever uh, in all of North America. Did you know that Archbishop Lefebvre almost died in that? I did not. This is, I think, a very little known fact. And the only reason that I know it is because the priest who was a pilot and was going to fly him was a friend of mine, a friend of ours. Um, Father Hector Bolduc, who was an SSPX priest at that time, later wasn't. That's a long story. But Father Bolduc, uh, who's from New Hampshire, um, was one of the, not the first, but one of the first Americans uh, that was ordained to the priesthood by Archbishop Lefebvre. And he was, he was a very important um, priest in those days uh, in the SSPX. And he had, because he did this beastly mass circuit when the SSPX was a lot smaller, he went from place to place to place. He actually had a, a, a private plane. I don't know. I, I, I can't call it a jet. I don't know what it was. I'm assuming it was some kind of prop thing. But um, he and when the archbishop came over, uh, it was considered, you know, it would be very economic for them to use Father Bolduc's plane. And Father Bolduc would just fly them from place to place <laughs> so that he could visit the different chapels. Well, they were up in the, you know, uh, in the Pacific Northwest in Washington State, and they were about to take off. They had just been given the clearance to take off, and the, the, there was some activity on the radio and the guy said uh no don't take off yet because there's somebody that went out, out ahead of you and he's having some problems and we want to look into that well the person that went ahead of them was there right after the blast and mm. all of the all of the this cloud that was sent out you know it's got this fine uh it's like glass it's like little tiny little glass shards it got into the engine of the plane and just tore everything to bits, and the plane went down. Everyone died. So uh, Archbishop Lefebvre and uh, Father Hector Bolduc were, were spared that by by a question of moments. Um, also, uh, the great writer, English writer Evelyn, if I would have said Evelyn, Pierce would have smacked me. It's it's Evelyn it's Wall. It's Evelyn, yeah. whereas Joseph says it. Well, you know, Michael, you got to pronounce it correctly. It's Evelyn Wall. <laughs> Evelyn Wall wrote a story, a short novel about uh, St. Helen. My favorite St. Helen story is the one that I read at New Advent, uh, which is about his niece, who apparently had a correspondence with St. Jerome. Uh, wait, wait, who, who are you saying? Had oh, no, no, St. Helen's niece, her niece, or maybe it was her daughter, had a correspondence with St. Jerome. I think it was her, was her, was it her daughter? The, uh, okay, so you got me flat-footed there. I mean, I suppose it's possible that in that next generation, because, so yeah, St. Jerome would have been alive. Um, he, he wasn't flourishing till after Constantine and Helena. 
Um, but yeah, I doubt it. I never heard that before. No. Or, well, <clears throat> brother, let me uh, let, let me be the authority. I know that I read that at New Advent, and I know that he had correspondence because she was contemplating what she should do. Should she take a husband at the time? And she was writing him, and he was writing her back, uh, giving her spiritual guidance. I don't remember if it, the woman is related to Helen. That's all I can tell you. I don't remember if it was a daughter. It's like eight years ago I read this. Um, but it, you can find it if you if you start looking at Saint Helen at New Advent. He links to it. It's in that story, so you can find it. Anyway, uh, uh, for further reading, um, also <clears throat> I'm being told that today is the coronation of Our Lady. Um, the the hmm. okay, so that that the, in the traditional right, that's a feast that's on the twenty on the thirty first of May. That's what I thought. The 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 well, that's the queenship of Mary. I, I don't know. There, there are if you look at um, literally every day of the ecclesiastical year has has a, a, a Marian feast, and there are all sorts of minor Marian feasts, many of them local, all over the world. Yeah, I go by the calendar that's at Tradidio, and I didn't see any of. I did not see that. Uh, <clears throat> maybe it's not the greatest calendar, but it's the one I've been using, and it's usually accurate. And also, of course, the calendar at Catholicism.org, which I did not go to today. So we have all that. Uh, brother, uh, <laughs> I won't reveal the content of our private message there about what the uh, Catholic sat posted on Twitter about the Holy Father um, and another pronunciation or non-pronunciation or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> about uh, this thing about the commandments. Um, <clears throat> but I, I will just tell people that uh, Brother Andre's comment was, please just make it stop. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, stop it. Stop it. Um, well, actually, actually I, I think that would be a good, th a good uh, thing to take up, not as something to just spend time fuming and, and, and grousing about uh, Pope Francis's latest. Uh, but to, 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 to use it for some context um, to talk about what I think is more important. Um, so the, the Holy Father says, and Maggie O'Connell just, just dropped a screenshot in the, in the, um, from, the, from the tweet in the chat room, and it says, at a general audience, Pope Francis asks two questions. Do I live in fear that if I don't do this or that, I will go to hell? And do I despise the commandments? Uh, he says, no, I observe them, but not as absolutes, because I know that what justifies me is Jesus Christ. Um, so you can actually go and, and, and look on the, uh, you know, multiple people have been throwing this out on Twitter and probably other social media this morning. And it's um, it's a perfect example of the kind of sloppy sort of moral relativism. Um, so he says, do I live in fear that if I don't do this or that, I will go to hell? Well, this is a kind of tendentious um, question that is designed to, to, to make us choose some false option, right? Should I live in fear that I'm going to be committing a sin? Well... Yeah, there are different ways to answer that. There are people, in in other words, there there are different important truths to be brought out of that. This is fear the greatest uh, uh, thing. Is, is is should fear rule our lives? No, 
really, faith, hope, and charity ought to. And and in order to live faith, hope, and charity properly, we also have to have prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. But fear is a, a, a necessary reality. If you don't have fear, you can't have fortitude, for one thing, because fortitude is the moral virtue which allows you to uh, to moderate fear so that you can overcome fears in order to do the, the difficult good, right? That's the whole point of fortitude. We all have fear of some sort. It could be irrational fears. It could be entirely rational fears. If, if you, you know, you, you might fear diving into a volcano. Well, that's a very prudent thing to fear because if you do that, you're going to plummet to your death. If we didn't have fear, we'd be stepping off of buildings. We'd be, you know, jumping out of windows inadvertently because we're chasing a butterfly or whatever. We'd be, um, we'd be wandering out into traffic. If we didn't have fear sufficient to keep ourselves alive, we'd be doing all sorts of stupid things. So it's a, it's something that's there for our good. It's one of the passions, and it's there for, for our good. If we didn't have fear, we wouldn't be humans. But it has to be moderated. It has to be regulated. It has to be uh, made to uh, perform in accordance with reason. huh? So the, And for that, we have the virtue of fortitude. And, and when I say in, in accordance with reason, I don't mean in accordance with with rationalism. I don't mean reason in the sort of uh, enlightenment sense of, of a rationalistic ideology. I mean reason in the sense of that by w- which we we perceive reality, both natural and supernatural. Okay. But by reason, I'm not contrasting with faith here. Faith is faith is. Uh, in accordance with reason. Why? Because if we look at reason in the, in the widest sense, it's that faculty by which we perceive reality. So, um, so do I live in? So, should we be dominated by fear? No, actually, that's I. I pray every day to be delivered from the spirit of fear. Um, I, I do. I do a binding prayer to to keep the spirit of fear away from me. Because, because the demons, of course, will grab hold of our fears and make us fear irrationally. And I know people, and I've, you know, it's difficult to deal with people who are so consumed with fear that that is the dominant passion, and that is what, what that is sort of the basis of so many of their actions. And you know, that's wrong. That's a disordered fear. But we have to fear God. Is that fear I or mean, is that paranoia? Do you think it's more par- uh, paranoia? Well, it's fear. I mean, it's fear. I mean, paranoia is a fear. Okay. Uh, but it's it's all it's all fear. Right. Um, so, I mean, if if we look at it theologically, there's there there are three different kinds of fear that uh, say Saint Thomas distinguishes, and this is a, a very uh, popular distinction. There's what's called uh, concupiscible fear. Um, also called mundane fear, and that's evil. It's an evil kind of fear. That is a fear of you fear you fear God because He stands in the way of you and your pleasures, your sins that you like, that you're uh, cleaving to and don't want to let go of. You fear you fear Him because you're bad, and He wants you to stop being bad. So it's called mundane fear. It's called concupiscible fear, and it's always evil. Then there's a kind of a middle fear, and that is uh, the, the fear that's called um, 
oh dear, uh, servile fear. Now, servile fear is the fear of a servant for an exacting master. So the, 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 the servant who's afraid he's going to get a whooping, you know, he's going to get the Kunta Kinte treatment, um, is uh, he, he, he stays in fear. He, it keeps him good. It keeps him doing at least what the master wants. Well, that's not a master, bro. It's a massa. Massa. It ke- <laughs> yeah, I didn't want it. Yeah. It keeps him doing what the master wants, um, but it's not sufficient for him to be really good. It, it, it's not, that's not spontaneous virtue. So um, this is called servile fear, the fear of a servant. And, and remember, servant and slave are essentially the same thing. And uh, so St. Thomas sa- says that it's, it's mixed. It's part good and part bad. Now, if we look at God as our master, which he is, and we fear offending him because we're going to get the whooping, because there's hell, right? That's servile fear. Uh, but it's not perfect fear. So the next step up is the fear of the Lord that's also the gift of the Holy Ghost. Remember, when we list the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost, the fear of the Lord is on that list. It's usually the last one that we list because it's the last in the catalog that Isaiah the prophet gives. But, um, but it is the first of all of the gifts because it's the, in order, in ascending order, wisdom is the highest. Okay. So in ascending order, fear of the Lord is the lowest. But even our Lord has fear, fear of the Lord. In his human nature, Jesus Christ has fear of the Lord. St. Thomas says he has all the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost, even now in heaven. And, and fear of the Lord uh, becomes uh, something which we don't fear him because he's going to send us to hell, with fear of the Lord, the gift, but with that perfect fear, which is also called filial fear, the fear of a son for benevolent father, with that filial fear, we fear displeasing uh, the, our father who loves us. Huh? Well, so brother, it's affected. It's part of the act of contrition. Act of contrition, exactly. Right. And Psalm 110, right? Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, the, uh, I, I couldn't. That's the proper fear. Term. That's the third one. Is that the third? Well, the, one? well, that that, that I, I, okay. You're not quoting the psalm there. You quote the, Psalm one ten is Dixie Dominus Domina Meo Sedia Dextris Meis. Um, but the 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 one you think what you're thinking of comes from the Book of Wisdom, I believe. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, scripture also says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of His mercies. So the fear of the Lord is good for both. Um, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, you could apply that even to even to servile fear because it, it, it's it's an important beginning to have servile. Notice it's the beginning; it's not the end. Okay. The summit of wisdom is the gift of wisdom, which perfects the highest theological virtue, which is charity. So that's the summit of the spiritual life. Uh, you know, but I mean, Pope Francis is. Pope, when, when Pope Francis says this in, in, in his very um, vague rhetoric. Which is always the, vague. Yeah, the assumption is that he's speaking of fear of, of offending God equals paranoia. Therefore, when somebody's, you know, fearing committing it, you know, if I'm being tempted to commit some heinous sin, um, you, you, I, I would prefer. Now, I, pref, I prefer it that it was the love of God that kept me from offending my loving father, or that you know. But 
if nothing else, if the fear of hell <clears throat> kept me from committing that big, fat, juicy, mortal sin, I would like that. Okay, that's a good thing. That's a good fear. That's a that's a good th- and even servile fear, which again it's imperfect, right? So the act of contrition. Oh my God, I'm hardly sorry for having offended thee, uh, because I fear the loss of heaven and the pains of hell, but most of all because they offend thee, oh my God, who are all good and worthy of all my love. So that that that's, uh, shows you the contrast between servile fear and filial fear, which is more perfect. But servile fear, which is mixed, is not always evil. That's mundane fear or or carnal fear. And what what the, what the Pope is saying here, or actually concupiscible fear, what the Pope is saying here is basically equating all fear with something with mundane fear. But that's not the fear that keeps you from sin. And there should be a genuine fear there. Uh, e- again, even even in the perfect who are tempted, they. Fear offending God because he loves them and they don't want to betray that love. And of course, Jesus Christ did say, if you love me, keep my commandments. <laughs> and then the Pope goes on to say, do I despise the commandments? He says, no, but I observe them, but not as absolutes. Well, I mean, what in Hades does that mean? I, I'm thinking the same thing. What in <laughs> All right, brother, we're in complete sync today. I was thinking, all right, well, what in Hades does that mean? Well said. All right, uh, brother, uh, not to uh, to be a corrected correctorism, but I have my Dewey Rames open, and it says Psalm 110, verse 10, is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding to all that do it. His praise continueth forever and ever. Um <clears throat> That's I humbly right. take I humbly take your correction, Mike. No, no. I, well, because I will I will get corrected, correctors, and you know you gave the wrong verse. Uh, no, I uh, I don't think I did. Uh, this was an introit. It's an introit to one of the masses during the year. I know it because I read it as an or may, it's a collect or an introit because I've seen it in a mass, and I immediately okay, went, you're right. And I immediately yep. went. I mean to memorize that because it's beautiful. It's one ten ten. Yes. Okay. So, so uh, I, I, I was actually thinking of one. I was actually thinking of Psalm one hundred and nine, which is, believe it or not, which is Psalm one hundred and ten in the Protestant Bible. So I guess I, I guess I temporarily went Protestant because I remember I said it's Dixie Dominus Domino Meo. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's Psalm one hundred and nine. And this so. is confiti, uh, confiti or um, uh. Confitebor tibi domine. I will confess. I will praise you. I will confess you. Literally, I will confess you, O Lord. So, brother, can you recite the titles of all one hundred and fifty psalms? If you could, oh. can, can we do a Catholic Jeopardy show? And you could be the host. No, no, no. I could not. I could not. I could not do that. Okay. Uh, I want to move on because I know you got a, a lot of things to do today. Uh, tell people about number one. Uh, where do they go to register for the upcoming St. Benedict Center Conference that ah. yours truly and you will be at? And uh, you've got some new speaker, uh, or at least one that I saw coming this year, David Lang. Yes. <clears throat> well, no, Dr. David Lang was here last year. So so if you go to Catholicism.org and you look at that really nice, cool carousel thing that's up at the top <laughs> the first thing that pops up will say 2021 SBC conference resisting the revolutionary reset and that is um that that'll take you right to our bookstore 
the thing where you can purchase the tickets. It also has details on who's speaking. So we've got Dr. David Lang, who did speak last year. That's he's right. That, um, he's that professor uh, from from from. Uh, he teaches at two institutions of higher learning in in the Boston area, and um, he's. I tell you what, he is fantastic. He's a fantastic anti anti jabber and anti COVID uh, paranoia guy. But he's a philosopher. That's what he did. He's got two PhDs. One's in mathematics and one's in philosophy. And I, when I invited him last year, I was a little nervous because it's like, okay, well, I have this correspondent here that, I, that I've been going back and forth. I've read a couple of his books. I interviewed him on Reconquest. But he's, he's a very um, cer extremely cerebral, um, um, if, if, if very Boston-accented um, <laughs> philosopher. And how is he going to connect with an audience at our conference? Well, it was incredible. Yeah. I mean, he tore the house down. Easily. A, he easily he's connected. He, he's a philosopher who can play a room. It was impressive. <laughs> um, and better than Mel Brooks. Anyway, um, and uh, John Sharp. Now, that might that might be a name that wasn't familiar to you. I, I know. know John Sharp. He is a, wait for it, distributist. Yes, John Sharp is known as a distributist. Um, he, he's, he's also, he's also retired Lieutenant commander, United States Navy. Uh, no, no, no. He's an active commander. Oh, is he? I States thought he was Navy. retired. Okay. All right. Oh no. He's, <clears throat> he's going to retire in the not too distant future from, from what I know, based upon a conversation I had with him. Uh, he was working out the details of all that at, at the time we spoke, which was, um, sometime in June. Uh, but uh, yeah, Commander Sharp is um, genius well, when it comes to Belloc and Chesterton and this entire yeah, thing of, he, of, of, of distributors or whatever you want to call it. He's well named. He's a sharp guy, and he's a, he's a traditional Catholic who like taught himself Gregorian chant and sacred polyphony, and he turned his family, not unlike David Simpson's family, he turned his family into a into a polyphonic scola. It's impressive. Um, so he's going to be speaking. Uh, we're not quite sure on what, but uh, but everyone's speaking to the topic: revolutionary resisting the revolutionary reset, virtue, skills, and Catholic good sense for flourishing amid the madness. And he's also uh, he's a, he's the son of Judith Sharp, who does that uh, podcast or that uh, series of podcasts that she did with that guy uh, Matatex before he lost his mind. <clears throat> yeah, Judith Sharp is quite is quite the. Um, she, she started the in the spirit of Sharp um, organization, which has put out a lot of good Catholic material. She interviewed um, me once, by the way. By the way, <clears throat> yeah, she's a good lady. Uh, John is um, John is 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 very close to a PhD, but he'll probably never get it because uh, he had done all of his coursework. He was working on his dissertation. And because they found out that he was considered a hate monger by the Southern Poverty Law Center, oh, uh, the academic institution, they dropped him. It was incredible. I mean, it's just it's 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 so incredibly unjust um, that because, you know, he was smeared, he was he was slimed by slimy people um, that he was he was considered to be um, persona non grata, even though. He got along well with everybody in the school. He was, he was, you know, he, he his, his grades were good. He was, a, he was obviously had all of the qualifications. Uh, but as soon as they 
as soon as they realized he was an unperson, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, they had to drop him, you know, like a like a hot potato. And the one person who was willing to be his thesis advisor died, oh, and God. that sort of put the death knell. Um, uh, or put the nail in the coffin of, of John's PhD, but he's he's an absolute genius. He oh, yeah. he had a he had a tete a tete with the with the Navy, who um, gave him a dishonorable discharge because of uh, some things he had written, which again called out, out by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, so he sued, and uh, he won. <laughs> there you go. For years he won. And he figured they'd just give him all of his back pay and cut him loose and say, you know, get lost. But no, they gave him all of his back pay and said, okay, we're putting you back. Uh, we're, we're recommissioning you. And he was stunned. And at that point, his flourishing book business um, uh, sort of went went uh, fallow. And uh, it's still around, but they haven't done anything new in recent years. Uh, but and and his academic pursuits uh, went on hiatus. But again, as I told you, that 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 got kiboshed by the lunatics at the college at the university. But anyway, so uh, John is a fighter, and he's he's taken totally. some he's taken some hits for the cause over the years. Um, and he's he's an absolute genius. Whatever he speaks about, it will be quite worth hearing. In the first but, year, the early days of the Crusade Channel, uh, I had him on. I don't know, two three times. We talked, uh, David Simpson had him on an episode, the early episode of the True Money Show. So he's been on the Crusade channel uh, several times. Has been, <clears throat> I haven't talked to John in years, uh, three or four years. Uh, I didn't even see the, you know, I skimmed it so quick. I saw Lang, but I didn't see Sharp. Uh, that's a, that that's an impressive find. That's an impressive land there. So, folks, you need to go to Catholicism.org. The dates are October 9th and 10th. A uh, beautiful time of year to be in Richmond, New Hampshire uh, for the foliage. And, uh, of course, yours truly, I will be there. Brother Andre will be there. Sister Maria Philomena will be speaking, as she uh, always does, on her traditional Friday slot. Uh, have I been designated a official Charles replacement again? Oh, yes. Yes. Now, <laughs> I'm, okay, so I'm I'm working on – yeah, yeah. you'll be emceeing. Um <laughs> We've also got uh, Mike. We've got um, Joe Doyle. Yeah. Um, there's one other speaker. So Charles Coulomb, since you brought up the, the man's name, he will probably be you know skyped in, zoomed in, whatever, um, d digitized in, beamed in uh, from uh, Austria. Austria. Because I'm assuming I'm assuming that they're going to go on lockdown because that's just the pattern. Um, as soon as fall hits, uh, because we won't want to get the, you know, Upsilon variant or whatever's around at that point. Um, and, uh, so he'll probably be joining us that way, but I insist that we'll only have one speaker who's sort of digitally present to us. Uh, everybody else <laughs> will be in the flesh. Um, and, uh, uh, cause he'll be in Austria at that point. In fact, he's already in Austria. He is. Uh, we saw him a couple days ago. Um, he can't, he, he blew through here, uh, at the end of his whirlwind American tour before going back to Austria. Um, and, uh, and, and there's one other speaker, um, uh, that I'm, I'm trying to hook you, you, you know who it is because you, uh, encouraged me to reach out to the gentleman, 
And I don't know Which why. Of course, it's going to put the kibosh and the jinx on it. <laughs> because I encourage what, that you that you reached out. Yeah, that I said, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> oh, come on, Mike! Don't be, don't be, Mister Down. Well, you, uh, uh, okay. Well, I'm familiar with the pig pen black cloud that hangs over his head. You, so. you know, the, you, you know the black cloud, the black cloud thing. That's you know. So there was actually a comic book character way back. I think it was in in Lil Abner doing Lil Abner. And there was a a, 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 a um, do do you remember the do you remember the um uh, comic strip Little Abner? I do. Probably too, okay, so there was a character who had a completely unpronounceable name, and he was the guy that had a storm cloud over his head everywhere he went. <laughs> and I I can't you know people you know it, it, his name was comprised of like all consonants. Um, but uh, he was he was the one with the cloud. You know, the uh, pig pen was dirty, so he had this you know slight like sand cloud. Ah, all over him. But okay. that character actually had a storm cloud over his head to show what a what a uh, a glum gussy was. You know, <laughs> um, I just uh, my my mom and dad told me about it, and I, I once you made reference to him in something I wrote, and I can't find it right now. Even with our our, our butch uh, search engine on our website, but whatever. So yeah, so that's so that's our conference in miniature. And the talk that I'm speaking, uh, the topic rather that I'm taking on, Mike, okay, has to do with what, what I what I sent you this morning, and uh, I, I'm calling my talk uh, or, uh, "Ordered Virtue" um, as. Uh, as resistance to revolution, ordered virtue as resistance to revolution, or as resisting revolution. I thought it was brilliant when I wrote it up last night. Now I can't remember it. But um, ordered virtue as resistance to revolution. So the idea here is that you know a lot of people uh, get all you know they they have this um, wrong-headed idea of fortitude. It's kind of like the Popeye idea. Like, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. So they I get pushed and pushed. <laughs> yeah, they get pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And then they do. And then they make some act of desperation and take this leap. Well, usually that's just because you're angry. I mean, I'm not saying you can't be pushed in a good way to, to and, and sort of compelled by circumstances to do something good. But so many times people say, well, that's it. I can't take it anymore. And then they do something that sort of fits into what you might call a simulacrum of fortitude. It's not the real McCoy. It's a counterfeit. But um, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I've been on a slow read of Yosef Pieper's excellent book on the Four Cardinal Virtues. And th- he explains in wonderful detail in, in that book how there is an order to the virtues. We talk about prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance in that order for a reason prudence is the first of the cardinal virtues without it you can't have justice justice is actually the highest of them which with which without justice you can't be a good man scripture over 800 times speaks of justice or the just man in terms that are synonymous with goodness and the good man or holiness and the holy man and Um, uh, prudence is also a marian virtue Virgo prudentissima. That's right. Is we in the litany, her, right? <clears throat> yeah, Virgo prudentissima. Very good. Yeah, that's right. Virgin and we also prudent. call St. Joseph, Joseph prudentissim, prudentissimus. Right. Yeah. Mo, uh, Joseph most prudent. So we, 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 yeah. And without 
prudence, and, and Pieper makes the argument so compellingly, without prudence, you simply cannot have any of the other virtues. We, people tend to think of prudence as this, they, they, they have this lowbrow idea of prudence, that prudence is just, well, that's just this sort of um, caution, you know, and, um, you know, sometimes we just have to abandon caution and, and have fortitude. No, 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 no. That's not all prudence is. You can't practice fortitude without prudence. Because if you don't have prudence, your fortitude is going to no, be no, brother, you, you, uh, you said you needed to leave for night. I'm trying to get you out the door. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, but, but but now you started something. I have to ask. You've been talking about this Peeper book for like three months now. Is this like 1,400 pages? Is this a, uh, an encyclopedia, a PDR desk reference, and it weighs eight pounds? No, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how many pages it is. It's, um, well, excluding all of the back matter of, of the, the notes, which I actually, yeah, I actually read notes. Well, okay, with the notes, it's 234 pages. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and, I'm on, and I'm on page 140. It's a slow drip. Okay. Uh, that's how I'm reading it. I'm, I'm meditating on it. Um, and, uh, I mean, several chapters, like the first quarter of the book, I read in its entirety twice. Um, the second time taking copious notes and, um, several paragraphs of that I read like 10 times. So I don't, I don't go through a book like this, like it's a novel, you know, I can I read it. novels quickly, but, uh, Brother, this you're is talking about of, someone who's been reading the same 18 books since 2012. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a book that you have to have kind of slow titration, <laughs> you know, you have to kind of let it drip, uh, in, into your, into your mind. Um, and it's it's the kind of book you need to savor. It's it's like a fine cigar. I don't like cigars, but for you, it's like a fine cigar. Okay. Well, or I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it, and I'm going to get it in the store. Uh, I have two things, uh, and then you can leave. Number one, thank you for the inspiration on prudence, because I have been uh, asking Our Lady to help me with prudence, uh, the Holy Ghost. Um, and came to the realization that I may have been saying the litany of humility incorrectly, and so, been, not that God needs correction, because he certainly doesn't, that <laughs> Jesus needs correction or needs my puny input, but uh, to uh, just be mindful that um, when I pray for humility, when we pray for it, uh, I'm not praying for obscurity, and that maybe I might have gotten the two a little conflated, and that it's, <laughs> it's not prudent in my line of work to be obscure, and then, and that, uh, okay, bro, uh, uh, mother, uh, I think I may have been going <laughs> the wrong way. I didn't mean obscurity. I meant humility. Then the two are different. Um, so thank you for the uh, the meditation on prudence. And tell me what's on tonight's, uh, and to seek prudence, because I don't think I'm very prudent. So <laughs> I'm seeking prudence. Um, um, and, well, remember, not, what, and that's what, not a Beatles song either. A virtue, if you don't have a virtue, you can always pray for it. So pray well, for it. I um, am. I am. And what's on tonight's reconquest? Tonight's reconquest. Oh, I've got the link. I can pop in. I'm. I'm. I'm actually prepared today. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Um, actually, uh, so tonight's reconquest. Uh, I called it. Why should Latin be the liturgical language of Western Christendom? So it's all on that. It's all it's all on um, the, uh, the 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 Latin language specifically as a liturgical language. Uh, now I also talk about how it's used for so many other things in the church, but I, I speak of it principally as uh, as a um, 
liturgical language. So uh, that's that's it. So 55 minutes of just me, because I have no guest, talking all about why Latin should be the liturgical language of Western Christendom. I had a, I, the show's going to sound a little bit different because um, due to floors that are being put in our school right now, even as I speak, they're finishing up the job because we start school next week and we got some new floors in some of the classrooms because my studio is in, in one of the, uh, well, it's, it's in a closet next to one of the classrooms. Uh, I, I, I was kicked out of my studio for that, that week and I had to record it in um, a, a room that's unfortunately slightly acoustically live. And I did have a live audience and I said something that somebody thought was funny. And I think you're going to hear a laugh in there, but, um, <laughs> so, but, but it's, it's, it, for all that, I think the sound will come out okay. Uh, but anyway, so that's uh, yeah. So so we recorded it up uh, in the in the conference room that we have up here in the in the main um, where our offices are above St. Joseph Hall. So anyway, um, hopefully it'll it'll go over well because here's my thing, Mike. When when people start hating on on good things, that's when we treasure them all the more. And therefore, um, you know, we're getting we're, we're, the tragedies are getting hated on. So instead of just fuming and 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 fussing and 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 getting all, um, you know, offended and screaming and stuff, just double down on how much you love these things. And um, that's what we need to do. You know, don't don't just don't don't just lament the bullies. You know, uh, trying to shut down the traditional mass. Love it more, right? Live it more, etc. Well, that's the uh, the answer. And I was <clears throat> two days ago, and I was talking about uh, no, uh, Blessed Carl and Joe and uh, Jan Sobieski were yesterday, right? Uh, uh, birthdays, birthdays. Yeah. I, I'm pretty oh sure, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, they were yesterday, and I was talking about KV Turley's piece at the Catholic Register uh, to revisit the miracle of Vistula or Vistula. Um, the Poles are outnumbered. The commies, led by Lenin and Lenin's Red Army, thought they had run the tables. The deck was clear. And the the city of uh, Warsaw was going to fall, and it was going to become a communist, uh, communist outpost. Um, uh, but they turned uh, to Our Lady of Shestahoa, and she was having none of it. And the Poles drove the evil Soviets from the city across the river Vistula and ultimately beat them. And, of course, now, after World War II, Roosevelt and uh, uh, Stalin and Churchill would conspire uh, to ultimately to turn Poland and the Warsaw Pact uh, or the, uh, the Yalta Agreement uh, to turn Poland over and make it a Soviet republic. Um, but that was an act of treachery that the Poles had nothing to do with. Um, but the Poles beat the Soviets is the point. And they beat the Soviets. They were outnumbered. They were out, uh, they were outgunned. They were out, they were surrounded. They were outflanked, but they didn't count on our lady of Shestahova. We should remember that these guys are not going to win. And I don't, I, I don't want to hear any of this negativity during the octave of the assumption. So I've been chastising people all all week long. Stop with your gloom and doom. We are not going to be defeated by evil. Her Immaculate Heart will triumph, and you need to conform your mind to it, bucko. Yeah, can, can I, Mike, can I read you a little bit of paper here? Absolutely. Uh, okay, so... Um, let's see. Okay, the supernatural 
fortitude bestowed by grace, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So he's talking about the gift of fortitude, which perfects the virtue of fortitude. The supernatural fortitude bestowed by grace, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit, pervades and crowns all other natural modes of Christian fortitude. For to be brave means not only to suffer injury and death for the struggle for the realization of the good, but also to hope for victory. Without this hope, fortitude is impossible. And the higher this victory, the more certain the hope for it, the more a man risks to gain it. The supernatural gift of fortitude, the gift of the Holy Spirit, however, is nourished by the surest hope of the final and highest victory in which all other victories, by their hidden reference to it, are perfected, the hope of life eternal. That's one of the reasons I like Peeper. He's so deep and so thorough. Beautiful. There. But I mean, that, but, but we, we, you know, there's an old Latin expression, dum spiro spero, while I breathe, I hope. And without hope, you can't look forward to uh, a blessed eternity and you can't put up with the drudgeries of this life with he's connecting the theological virtue of hope to the gift of the Holy ghost of fortitude to the cardinal virtue of fortitude. You cannot really practice fortitude in this life without hope of, of something greater than this life. And that's what we aspire to. And this isn't pious pablum. This isn't just some pat phrase that's made to, to help losers cope. This is this is reality, right? Prudence is necessary for us to see reality, and we can't practice virtues without seeing reality. And when we see the reality that this life is passing, and that Pope Francis's pontificate is going to end, it's not it's not the end of reality. It's not the end of the church. It's not the end of my life. It's not the end of my ability to be a Catholic or to be a saint. In fact, it might be the very terms of my becoming may a saint. get you there. Yeah, it might be it might be quite necessary for it. You know, on the what why is there a general judgment? Because among other reasons, we yeah, while we're each judged in our particular judgment to go to heaven or hell and that's fixed, that's not going to change at the general judgment. God's not going to change his mind between times. Uh, there's a general judgment because it will vindicate very publicly for everybody to see God's justice that every single thing that he allowed to happen was perfectly just for him to allow. And that, and that those, some of the very things that we bemoaned and lamented and, and griped about the most during our life, were, without, were, without those things, we wouldn't have been able to save our souls. Now, I'm not saying that's exactly how you're going to see it, but those are the kinds of things that we're going to see when God's justice is perfectly vindicated. So that everything that today doesn't make sense to us will make perfect sense and the blessed in heaven will praise God's mercy, and the the damned in hell will praise God's justice by a a, a, a very unpleasant sort of <clears throat> hymn. But they will still uh, be praising God's justice. So we have to, uh, in order to practice virtue, we have to think in terms of an active, proactive plan to to acquire it, beginning with prudence. And something else on those lines, we can't spend the rest of our lives being reactionary to what the evil is doing. You just can't sit here and wait for the next bad thing to come along. Oh, I got to apologize. That's terrible. The most, the, the thing that you can do to anger them the most is do do something they're not expecting you to do. <laughs> uh, yeah. Try acting like you actually live in a little Christendom. Try that. It'll piss. It'll anger them. It'll make them really yeah, it, angry. It, they don't like that. It, 
Yeah, and this is why you know th this is why the the, the martyrs are so incredibly uh, they the martyrs confess that that's the ultimate expression of Christian fortitude is martyrdom, and they they vex the uh, their their persecutors, uh, and sometimes they persecute their they rather convert their persecutors, and the the reason I say they vex them is because they think well you know we're doing the ultimate evil to you we're taking your life and the martyrs are like no you're not. <laughs> you're 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 actually you're you're actually providing the portal for me to go from this miserable existence to a blessed eternity. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and, and I mean, yeah, that 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 whole sort of thank you, sir, may I have another <laughs> can <works>. be <clears throat> difficult. Um, and and yes, we do have to resist God's enemies and the enemies of the church and the enemies of our salvation. So it's not a kind of a pacifism. That we that we acquire by by acquiring this sort of martyr mindset, but the the true mindset of the martyrs is, you know, to kiss the hand of the of the executioner, and um, that that's not just a coping mechanism. This is a supernatural outlook on life, and you know you're not going to have joy if you don't have that amid amid this, the sufferings of this veil of tears. You know there are. Uh, uh there are, there are those that say that the monarchy in France ended with basically the martyrdom of Louis the Sixteenth. That you know when he went to the to the scaffold, what did he do? He said the Paternoster, and then he looked at the guy who was going to cut his head off and said, "I forgive you." And then to uh, to uh, to uh, not Talleyrand, what was the guy's name? Uh, who was the ringleader of the the, the Jacobins? <clears throat> Uh, uh, Robespierre. 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 Of course, Robespierre would get his own. <laughs> he get his just dessert. Uh, and also, when you think of yeah, but Pope Francis. Uh, well, I happen to know the name of a saint. Her name is Catherine of Siena. Uh, I think that the highest religious that she got was ter tertiary. Was she tertiary? Well, yes, yeah, she was a Dominican tertiary. Tertiary. Um, and she was mitigating. You know, a, a struggle between the Pope of Avignon and then the Pope, uh, the Bishop of Rome, saying well, you, you got to settle this, right? You got to well, stop no, no, this. No, no, no. So she, so she. I mean, the, the 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 Pope of Avignon was the Bishop of Rome. Oh, okay. She she told him to get his butt back to Rome. Get, go back to Rome. That's what it was. And 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 you know, you know, she was she was a very feisty Italian woman, and and ultimately he listened. <laughs> As <laughs> you listen to very, I can, smell, I can smell the stench of sin in the papal court all the way from Siena. Uh, she wrote to the Pope, who was in Avignon at the time. That's I mean, pretty so, powerful. Yeah, she wasn't. She wasn't a, a shrinking violet. <laughs> so when you think that we have it worse than anyone's, uh, uh, don't make that's a prideful boast. I hear that all the time. I go like, you're really gonna. I mean, you're elevating yourself above some really. <laughs> Some saints that had to deal with some pretty uh, despicable papal things uh, that were going on. Uh, brother, I'll let you go. You said you got a lot of stuff to do, so uh, get to it. Tonight's Reconquest will broadcast 8 Eastern, 7 Central. MemberCatholicism.org. Um, <clears throat> go sign up for the St. Benedict Center Conference. You're going to uh, meet a lot of people that are uh, regulars in the chat room, regular listeners. Uh, the people of Richmond, New Hampshire, and Fitzwilliam, and nearby Keene, and all that will welcome you with open arms. It's a, a lovely time to be in New Hampshire. Looking forward to our uh, drive up, and to, uh, and because we drive, and because you don't book flights, 
You also have the liberty. Oh, wait a minute. I'll just adjust my schedule. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I want to stay another day and hang out with Sister Philomena's pigs. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to Yeah, and, 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 and wait till you see the pigs. Oh, my goodness. We, 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 yeah, we've got quite a herd now. Well, uh, here's, here's the, uh, my main question on that. Will we get to eat any of them? Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, we're working on that. Right. There, there are different schools of thought in, in, in house right now, and I, I won't bore you with the with the disputatio that's going on. <laughs> disputatio. All right. <clears throat> uh, he is Brother Andre Marine. You can find him at Catholicism.org. All right, brother. Uh, get to your duties. Uh, thank you very much. God bless you and the brothers and sisters, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you, Mike. God bless you, too, and God bless our audience. You're very, very welcome.